0: A good number of years ago, uh, Dan Brown's book, The Da Vinci Code, came out, and it was making its way up the bestseller list. A number of people in the congregation that I was serving at the time uh, were choosing to read it, and so I picked it up as well. Uh, it, it had things to say about the story of Jesus, and I figured as a pastor and a, one who cared for the spiritual growth of the people in my church that, well, it would just be good to read it. So I read it, and um, I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. That's not to say it didn't have good plots, plot twists and turns. and there was just this statement that da Vinci uh, that Dan Brown made at the beginning of this uh, story that even before he began Chapter One, he said that everything that the story was based on was true. You see, the whole story is a conspiracy. and, and in order to market a conspiracy, you give the feeling that it's based in truth. So here's Dan Brown writing a story about Jesus' story, and he was messing with it. You see, God in Jesus Christ provides the story for all of humanity to have salvation, and here is Dan Brown messing with the most important story of all. I did not like it. Well, this morning, uh, it just might be that we'll mess with your Christmas story But hopefully, whereas Dan Brown was turning people away from the story we find in the Bible about Jesus, hopefully our time together will actually call us closer to the story of Jesus in Scripture. All right, so let's go ahead and work to set up our passage before we get into it. Uh, In the uh, part of the story of Jesus' birth that we find ourselves in this week, we already know that an angel came to Joseph and to Mary and explained what God was up to, that the angel said to Mary that you're going to uh, have a child, and, and um, since she was a virgin at the time, and she was engaged, yes, and, uh, but she hadn't consummated her marriage yet, that uh, um, she asked, how's this going to be? And, and the angel said that, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and uh, the power of the Almighty is going to overshadow you, and and the child that you have is going to be remarkable. Uh, It's going to be the Savior of the world. The angel also said that your relative Elizabeth uh, was also with child, and so after the angel spoke with Mary, Mary made the decision that she was going to go visit her relative Elizabeth. So she goes to see Elizabeth, and when she arrives, there's this greeting that is explained to us in uh, the first chapter of Luke. Um, in the greeting, uh, the baby that was inside of Elizabeth turns out to be John the Baptist. Uh, that that baby leapt. Now again, we could have our thoughts of, well, really, uh, is this the baby actually? leaping in response to Jesus. That's the way this story is told in Scripture. In fact, it's spelled out for us there that the Holy Spirit um, uh, filled Elizabeth and her child in response was leaping to the arrival of Mary and the baby inside of her. And then Elizabeth said the words that uh, she acknowledged Mary as uh, the mother of her Lord. The mother of her Lord. Now, that's not to say that Elizabeth said the mother of God. That's not their proclamation here. But Elizabeth acknowledged that the child within Mary was different. All right, so if this is the setup for the story, let's, what are three things that we can grasp from this setup? What, what are three things that we can grasp from the passage right before the passage we're going to look at today? Well, the first is this. It's a coordinated plan. God's plan for Christmas is a coordinated plan. Just if we look at the details of it. So God uh, sends an angel to speak to Mary and to Joseph. Well, God had sent an angel to speak to Zechariah and Elizabeth. We find that in Mary and Joseph, we find a very poor couple. We find in Zechariah and Elizabeth that they're well up the um, income uh, uh, line. We find that in, Jer- in Joseph and Mary that they're from a re- remote part of the country, whereas Elizabeth and Zechariah are much closer to Jerusalem. God is coordinating these things together. We also find this. We find that the Holy Spirit is intimately involved, that the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. The Holy Spirit is the uh, presence of God that is causing Mary to be pregnant. The Holy Spirit is involved all over the Christmas story. And finally, we also discover that in this passage, in this set up passage to uh, the birth of Christ, in the passage we're going to look at today, that Elizabeth's child is special, uh, but Mary's child is of a whole different leak. That, yes, the child given to Elizabeth was, she had been barren for many years. They, the marriage had, had existed for quite some time, but God caused it to be like he did in the Old Testament for uh, the husband and wife to actually finally have a child together. And that was a special child, a God-provided child. And yet the child within Mary was of a whole different level, a whole different league. All right, so with these understandings in mind, let's go ahead and take a look at our passage today. It's from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, We're going to be in verses 46 through 56. Hear the word of God. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. May God bless the reading of his word and may God bless our time together as well. Well, this text is known as Mary's Magnificat, the Magnificat which is from the Latin, because Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul glorifies God. What we find in these words is a kind of a psalm, a, a, an expression of thanksgiving. Now, we might approach this text maybe from a skeptical standpoint, wondering how could we know what Mary actually said in that instant. It, it, we might speculate a bit, was this really Luke's Are these Luke's words that he attributed to Mary? Or was it part of some kind of a tradition that grew um, during during that time between Mary and Luke? Here's what we have coming to us from Scripture, that these words come to us from Mary. It's not too hard to imagine that uh, young person growing up in a home in which faith was central to their experience in fact for the whole of the town faith being central to their experience would come up with old words in fact the words that mary speaks they're full of the bits and bobs of the old testament the, the phrases and expressions that the people of god had shared for some time maybe it was that hannah's song was Shared around her home. Maybe there were other psalms that were spoken quite often uh, in the midst of their house. There's something about words, especially ancient words. You know, I've found it over the course of uh, my walk with Christ, and especially in my work as a pastor, that when students going through a confirmation class or in some experience in the youth group where they have to state their faith or where they have the opportunity to stand up and give a testimony, I'm uh, I'm always delighted how so many of them will grab words that are ancient words. Uh, It's as though that maybe some of our common everyday words just don't capture the full sense of of what they're trying to convey, so it's just easier to capture those ancient words. Even with our own confirmation students, who, by the way, just this past week were uh, um, in discussion with the elders of the church as they represented their faith, and Well, with our own confirmation students, we use the Apostles' Creed. And that's, again, taking that ancient expression and bringing it to today so that we might learn and grow. Like, for instance, if if I were to use the word car, you would automatically have an understanding of what that word means. And it would be able to express—I wouldn't have to— uh, describe wheels and, and an engine and a transmission and a crankshaft and a camshaft. and I wouldn't have to describe all those things, cup holders. Um, you would just know a car means those things. In fact, if I said a clunker, you would get a whole different picture. Or if I mentioned a jeep, you wouldn't just have a picture of a car, you might even have a picture of an adventure. Then again, if I said Ferrari or Lamborghini or Porsche, again, it would stir something else, all in a simple word. Well, again, in Mary's house, in our own homes, in our experience of faith, there are these ancient words woven into the fabric of our faith. Well, this is Mary. Mary speaking from the God of the Old Testament into the midst of what God was doing in her life. All right, so if these are Mary's words? Then what is Mary saying? If we take a look at Mary's words, what do we actually find there? Well, we find that Mary celebrates what God does, more than what, uh, more than who God is. That her focus is on celebrating what God has done, than on just God's attributes. So this is at least one thing we can say from our text about Christmas that in Christmas, God is doing something. Christmas is God doing something. You know, we have that phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. Absolutely. Absolutely. But to believe in Jesus is really to believe then in what God is doing in and through Jesus. It's not just that we like the little picture of a a baby in a manger. To believe in Jesus is to believe that God is doing something. Jesus arrives in this world with a purpose and a mission. And Mary celebrates what God is doing. It's not just the little cute baby in the manger. It's God's plan being worked out in this world. Okay, so Mary celebrates what God is doing And how does she describe that work? Well, Mary celebrates then God's work on behalf of the humble and the poor. And even as she celebrates that work, she celebrates God's judgment against the rich and the mighty. So we could say Christmas is radically economic and social. So here's where we might be messing with our story of Christmas you know, today when we think about the economy of Christmas, we might be drawn to information like, uh, I read the other day that uh, it's been noted people spend about 25% of their annual expenditures, uh, uh, their annual purchases, they make those during this season of the year. That 25%, one-fourth of all they spend over 12 months is actually packed into just this month or month and a half. Uh, So that may be a, a statistic that we would look at, a percentage that would matter to us in our story of the Christmas experience today. How much do we spend on Christmas gifts? But if we take what Mary is celebrating, what Mary sees God doing in the midst of the first Christmas, maybe there's a different percentage that God might pay attention to today. Maybe the number 9.2%. You see, that's the, that's the percent of the world's population that lives in extreme poverty. Now, thankfully, that's a number that's been coming down over the uh, past years, and we celebrate that. But still, 9.2% of the world's population lives on less than a ninety a day. That's 689 million people according to what Mary is celebrating, what God does in Christmas, God would be aware of the 9.2% of the world's population living in poverty. We might say that, um, in fact, you might be tempted already to be going, well, Bob, you're just pushing a a, a social agenda that, that this, is, um, this can't be what Christmas is about. Well, it turns out that uh, when we find that Jesus grows to adulthood, that he keeps this message going, uh, the time where he speaks in Luke's gospel uh, as he begins his ministry as an adult, uh, we find him in Nazareth, and uh, the scroll of Isaiah is handed to him, and he reads it out loud. He reads a portion of it. He reads that portion from uh, um, uh, Isaiah's gospel that has to do with um, what his mission was going to be in this world. And so we find this in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of jubilee. Good news for the poor. In fact, we could turn to another place in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 6, and we find Jesus saying these things. This is the way that Luke puts it. He said, and Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And then further in the text, Jesus also says, But woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. And woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. All right, so maybe we see these words in Luke, but is this really Jesus' message? Well, let's go to Matthew. You remember that place in Matthew's gospel in the 25th chapter? Jesus was talking about uh, the end times. When, when, when the Son of Man, which was the way Jesus referred to himself, when the Son of Man returns that he would have all the people of all the nations before him, and like a shepherd with sheep and goats, he would put all the sheep on, on his right side and all the goats on the left side, and, and he would turn to the sheep, and, and he would say to them, um, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And, and they would say, uh, when did we do this? We don't remember doing these things. And Jesus at that time will say well whenever you did it to the least of these you did it unto me now come on into my kingdom and then he would turn to those on his left and he would say hey whenever I was hungry you didn't feed me And when I was thirsty you didn't give me anything to drink and when I was naked you didn't clothe me um, and they'd go, when, when did we not do these things? And, and Jesus would say that, well, whenever you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Then there's that place in Matthew's gospel where Jesus makes the statement that it's harder for a rich person to get in the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle A full-grown camel just think of how ridiculous that is a a full-grown camel going through the eye of a needle that that would be easier than it would be for a rich person to get in the kingdom of heaven you know we um we have our own pictures of christmas in fact we have songs that celebrate our picture of christmas that help to paint that picture and there's that one song that is beginning to look a lot like christmas If we were to gather some of the words from that song, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Toys in every store. But the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your own front door. A pair of hop-along boots and a pistol that shoots is the wish of Barney and Ben. Dolls that will talk and will go for a walk is the hope of Janice and Jen. And mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again. Is that our ideal Christmas? Where there's, there's toys in abundance and kids are getting toys and, and mom and dad, they just kind of put up with all the craziness until the kids can be shipped back off to school. You know, Mary was celebrating a different story. The story Mary was celebrating had to do with subversion. The Christmas that Mary celebrates is a subversive Christmas. That word, to subvert, it's to seek or to uh, intend to subvert, to overcome an established system or institution. That's the Christmas of the Bible. Christmas is fundamentally, radically, economic and social. Are we messing with your Christmas story So if we put these things together, that God is doing something in Christmas, and God is doing something on behalf of those who are poor and humble, we can say that at the heart of God's Christmas plans is establishing His kingdom, is revealing His kingdom, is pronouncing His kingdom in this world. In fact, it's what we ask God for every time we Uh, say the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So yes, is Christmas spiritual? Absolutely. The coming of Jesus is a wonderful spiritual gift that God gives. In fact, we're told that Jesus comes in this world to save us from our sins, allowing us to be set right with God is christmas moral is there a morality that comes to us we could say absolutely that that in jesus christ we're called to be a holy people and to abide by god's desires for us yes christmas is spiritual yes christmas is about uh god-oriented morality but it's not just those things you see christmas is also social (laughs) Christmas is also about ethics and about economies. And so today we've talked about this being, uh, sharing this story, this story of peace. And we might ask, where's the peace in this? And by the way, we could have easily made this Sunday about joy. Joy is all over the story of Mary and Elizabeth and the coming of Jesus. In fact, next week when we look at the topic of joy, we could also make that a whole sermon about peace as well. So peace and joy. Where's the peace and joy in the midst of a subversive Christmas? Well, if we happen to realize our poverty, if we happen to realize our huge need for what God provides, that opens our senses for understanding the gift of peace and what comes in and through Jesus Christ. One little more story from Jesus' life in Luke 18. We have this rich ruler coming to Jesus And uh, this individual goes, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus goes, well, you know, follow the the commandments. So many words. And the the guy goes, "Uh, yeah, I've been doing that since I was a kid. And so Jesus goes, well, I'll tell you what. Go and sell all you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the text actually says that when the man heard these things, he became very sad. And the word there is surrounded in grief. When the man heard these things, he was surrounded in grief for he was extremely rich. Listen, we know in the first century that there were rich Christians. In fact, Paul's letter to Timothy, the first one, uh, he even writes, hey, encourage the rich uh, to be generous in good works uh, toward others. So we know there are uh, rich Christians. But the challenge is, is where do we find our peace? Where do we find our joy? And the temptation is to always think that we can be the exception, that we can live both for the worldly riches and for Jesus Christ. But Mary proclaimed a subversive Christmas in which God was doing things for the poor and the humble. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In the coming of Jesus at Christmas, the door to life is provided. So did we mess with your Christmas story? Maybe? Since we're messing with Christmas stories a little bit, uh, if you would indulge me, I thought we would take on a, another Christmas story and mess with it just a little bit. Twas a number of months before Christmas, And all through the land, worldly leaders were ruling and peasants lived mouth to hand. An angel of the Lord paid a young woman a visit to tell her of God's plan in which she would be complicit. She would give birth to a son through the power of God's Spirit. The overshadowing of the Mighty One would most assuredly see to it. A commitment to yield, the young Mary confessed, Generations would now know her as the one whom God blessed. Having been told that her relative Elizabeth was expecting, Mary journeyed to the hills of Judea, all the while her thoughts collecting. The greeting she received was truly quite special. It turns out God's plan was not exclusively confidential. Elizabeth herself had been allowed to become pregnant. On behalf of Christ, her child, would one day serve as a defendant. In the midst of the greetings, Elizabeth's baby did leap, for God's Holy Spirit upon them did sweep. And why is this granted to me, Elizabeth did ask, for she knew through God's Spirit with what Mary had been tasked. The mother of my Lord did come to me, trusting God's promises, and therefore blessed is she. From Mary's own heart came words of joy and peace, as she celebrated God's mercy, which she knew would never cease. Her words spoke not so much about God's greatness and glory. The reversal of fortune was her lead story. God who, knows, who shows mercy from generation to generation would soon scatter the proud who worship their own veneration. In place of the mighty and the rich who sit on thrones, God will exalt those who hunger whose hunger has left them but flesh and bones. The rich will be sent away empty, yes, it is true, but those who are humble, God will see through. It's all part of God's plan, Mary concluded. It's God's ancient old covenant in which Abraham was included. So Christmas is more than package and gifts. The focus instead is on on the humble whom God uplifts. The whole world must know that the story of Jesus' birth has more to do with bringing heaven to earth. The manger and angels, shepherds and wise men too, tell a much greater story than holiday brew. God spoke through Mary to tell us the truth. The way of worldly power to God is uncouth. Peace we will find not in what we possess. True security is ours when Jesus we confess. So let us yield ourselves fully to the manger-born king and find peace and good cheer in God's eternal blessing. May God bless you this week.